Hi there. Time to get going on another leg of this season-long journey into how does a couples therapist learn to do that? I'm Jason Brand. This podcast is called Human Nurture. And in this episode, I've got another wonderful pack therapist along for the ride, my colleague Inga Gentile. Before we dive into the material, the preamble. While clinical material will be discussed in this episode, it's not intended as a substitute for therapy or the advice of a licensed couples therapist. It's here for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please seek the help of an appropriate resource if you or your couple or your loved one is struggling. Inga Gentile, she joins us from Oslo, Norway. She's a licensed MFT and a licensed clinical psychologist. She's an original PACT faculty member, and she's been studying with Stan Tatkin since the days of the original Calabasas study group way back in 2004. Inga joins me to think about the second couple of the season, Ron and Shakir. If you don't know, here you go. Married 33 years, their presenting challenge was that they drifted apart, and in the first and second interviews, they venture into this drift and found so much for us to discuss. Inga and I start off talking about the mismanagement of thirds and work our way towards a beautiful idea about how the drift has created a sense of timelessness between Ron and Shakir, and this means that at any moment they can find each other again. Each consultant has given me a way of holding the packed frame, and I love Inga's. She describes how close proximity triggers psychobiological reflexes, and this gives the information we need to do both and, showing what is between the couple and seeing what is possible for the couple. I'm getting excited thinking about my consultation with Inga, but enough telling, I'm gonna show by simply clicking play on the interview. I am a binational child. My uh, mother is Norwegian. My father is Italian-American. They grew up in the U.S., but spent a lot of time here in Norway. I've gone to school here and worked here before and um, moved here permanently about 11 years ago. Today, we're going to be getting into the mainly the second interview with Ron and Shakir. I just wanted to ask you, what would you want to tag right off the bat here in terms of what stood out to you and what was exciting and what do you really want to get to today? Well, I think one of the reasons couples work is so exciting, this model is so exciting, and I think this couple was so interesting and meaningful to watch is that there's so much there. There's so much there to uncover, to understand in terms of who people, as we talk about impact, who people really are, where their pain is and where the way out is Mm -hmm. from that pain in terms of development and maturity and Piece and I just that, that's what I was struck by is, is how exciting that it is and I look forward to exploring that with you around mm-hmm. this couple today. Mm-hmm. Great, great. And did you say peace? Peace. I did. Yeah. What do you mean by peace? A, a sense of peace. Many of us um, have spent our entire lives being dogged by something. And what place does it show up? But in uh, close relationship, and what place can it be mended or attended to? Also there. It's a nice frame to understand things. I thought we'd start with this idea of thirds. Before we get in too far ahead, let's define terms. What what is a third? How do you think about a third? I think about a third as any person or thing, activity that could potentially act as competition to the safety and security of a couple system. And I think you'll really tend to generally notice the thirds when they're not being managed well, because they tend to not feel that great to the couple. When I talk to my clients about thirds, and I think about why it might be relevant for what they're facing, I might bring it up to, among other things, um, point in a direction of relief if it's something Mm -hmm. that's actually uh, upsetting them uh, or one of them uh, here right now. 
because there's some pressure there. I like to, to talk to my couples also about the difference between things that are annoying and things that are threatening. Like I think many of us mm. in PACT do. So I think that's the first distinction, like the difference between something that's just annoying and something that actually registers as threatening on a nervous system level. Because then I think every time you do something, whether you are aware of it or not, either of you, that registers as insensitive to the other person, which often happens in mismanagement of thirds, mm -hmm. it, it like a boomerang will come back to you. It makes your relationship a little less safe. And over time, knowing what we know neurobiologically, that becomes a problem down the line, mm. right? Because part of what creates chronic dysregulation, distress in couples is these unresolved moments of insensitivity or misattunement that often revolve around thirds. Mm. And that's when it gets really tough because there's a neurobiological threat response activated that doesn't leave a lot of room for friendliness or clarification. Mm. Yeah. And the boomerang, why every time that I create a situation in which my partner feels resentful or unhappy with me. How does that boomerang back onto me? Among other things, over time, you become uh, associated with something negative. Mm -hmm. One of the things we talk about is this, this fact that if something happens that's negative and it doesn't get repaired, it goes into long-term memory. Mm -hmm. And if it happens often enough, it becomes always. And then I start to think you always do this. And then you become a source of discomfort and threat for me, mm -hmm. right? There's an affiliation there, an association of something quite negative that has to do with the partner that I've chosen to build an ecosystem with me. Mm -hmm. I think the bicycle examples of an example of a third. In that first interview, you start to see what you're talking about, Inga, where it builds up in the mind. So Shakir says, why didn't he know that asking me if the bike was okay to give to the people. Why did he know that this is not a good question to ask me? I realized that when I answered it, I was kind of curt, but I was trying to just answer it the best way I could. And I was going to process it later, but I recognize now comments and questions like that really throw me off. We can see there this, this sort of like a repetitiveness of, you know, why doesn't he know? Why is he not thinking about me in this way? An expectation that he should know, he would know, uh -huh. that would distress her. Uh -huh. Yeah. And this goes both ways. Ron says later, he says, you know, a, a yes or no answer, whatever the answer is, it's fine. I didn't have a problem with it. And I don't know how she took it, but you know, it wasn't intended to create a problem by asking a question. And so you can see there where he has in his mind, wait a minute, like all this, there's clearly something that's built up between us. There's this dam between us that's been built up that we can't quite access each other. We've got all these assumptions, these slights, these annoyances, these threats that have come up that, yeah. that are now getting in the way of something as yeah. simple as a question about can an extended family member borrow a bicycle? Yes, it was the bike, but it was also the way that I understood it, Jason, correct me, about another third, which was Ron's ex-wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the bike gets linked in addition to just being a moment of one way to think of that is how does this other person not know my mind, but they don't, but they don't because sometimes you, you don't, maybe they, they should or, or could would be better. Maybe if they knew that about each other, but that's what they're learning, I think. But even couples who are really great at this, they never totally know the other's mind. And yet it's, it's so jarring when the person that you're with, that you've chosen does this thing that feels so 
so absolutely contrary to anything that you would need. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful to me because in the first interview, that was the the feeling that I kept having is the flow between the two of you is getting more blocked and blocked. And it goes on from there. It was the ex-wife and then it was Shakir's mother's funeral and what happened at the funeral. And you can start to feel how all of these things become such impediments to being able to just maneuver through, through life. Yeah. Or opportunities, but yes, initially impediments, right? Uh Uh-huh. Say more about opportunities. What do you mean? Because that sounds encouraging. Um, Opportunities in that the more things they're having to navigate at the same time, and it sounds like there are quite a few things they're navigating at the same time, but the more the, for lack of a better word, the vulnerabilities in their couple system or the things that they, the assumptions that they have about who they are, how things should be, will be shown. Mm -hmm. And in the showing can then be altered or slightly adjusted. And that's the opportunity as I see it. As the interviews have been going on, I mean, they they both underneath are really making this case for like, just see me, talk to me, understand me without Mm -hmm. all of this stuff in the way that that's keeping Mm -hmm. you from, from understanding and knowing me. Increasingly, I'm getting a feeling with them of their plea towards more vulnerability. Yeah. And I think you speak to that really nicely in the sessions, in this well, the second session uh, mm-hmm. with them. One thing I think that a therapist has to reckon with is that we can expect that our clients or couples are going to do what they do in the outside world inside the therapy room. We want that. We want the material in the room in real time so it can be seen mm-hmm. and then potentially minorly adjusted. That's what we want. I think it's one of the big misnomers about couples therapy. Therapists are guilty of this too. Let's come in, let's act on our best behavior, and then we will be shown how to behave politely with each other from now on out. And I think in a lot of ways, it's no, actually, let's get down to what really happened so that we can understand it in a deeper kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. And what's also great though, when they do come and can, and I think you did such a a great job pointing this out in, in this session, with them is pointing out where they are doing things. So couples who come to session and do treat each other uh, respectfully, they demonstrate that they can do it, right? And why wouldn't they want to do that also when they're alone? Yeah, so both. One thing I noticed, and I don't, but I don't know that this could be different, and this is not a, a qualifier, is when I find that when couples are facing me, I noticed this in my practice before I got the rolling chairs and I had a couch, it would change my experience in the room. I guess this is more of a question to you. So when clients are talking more to you and when I'm saying they're talking more to me, it changes my experience and that may alter if and when I intervene or not. Mm. So that was the thing I noticed was the forward facing, which also to some extent, I think is a factor of telehealth Mm -hmm. too. It's a super good question with Ron and Shakir in particular. I don't do a lot of, no, you know, you guys have to look at each other. Like for me, it's more important that we're using the eye to eye contact as a learning tool, as opposed to just forcing people to, to do that. Absolutely. So I agree. The use of eye to eye face-to-face, I think has its place and we don't want to force anybody to do anything for sure, which I think then goes back to what is it that we're doing here? What is it that we're trying to find out? And what is it that we're trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. Meaning the couple, 
so I, my one thought is, and this is just generally speaking now. So someone is very clear, this isn't where we have a problem. Depending on, on who I'm dealing with, I might say, okay, just show me just for a second, humor me, just mm-hmm. try Let's just see how it feels. I just want to notice, I want you to, I'd like you to notice something and then see, because you are also exploring right contact maintenance and all of that. And certainly absolutely can feel awkward for another person. I get that. The other piece of that though, is there a seed of being good stewards together mm-hmm. also with you? As I recall, maybe mm-hmm. picked up on that. So this idea of like, we also, you know, we're aware that you also are here. And so we don't want to be so strongly dyadic that we don't also, you know, that, that we're not conscious of another person in the room. Because you, when you see something, right, really, as we know, and you are doing like spending time on what this is something, but is it what I think it means, mm-hmm. right? Is this a meaning that they actually can't do this? Or is this actually them being good stewards together mm-hmm. and also being aware of another person in the room? I see where you're headed with that. And I like it, which is that the therapist can be a third as well. So how they, how the couple manages me as a therapist is also important. And that's where things got a little tricky for me with Ron and Shakir. I I felt like at certain points I was being enlisted in making Ron into more of a kind of touchy-feely guy. He didn't like that. He said, look, this idea that I'm not touchy-feely or that I don't have feelings is just wrong. Again, it may be a misrepresentation because he he does have feelings and is touchy. This is what he's saying, right? Uh Uh-huh. Is that, that he does, that's yeah. what he wants. He's, you know, he's saying like, what am I, you know, of course I want that. Who wouldn't want that from their partner? And he also demonstrates in the session that ability, I think a number of times. Mm-hmm. And then with Ron, he's somebody who yeah. really wants the record to be straight. This is what this means. And this is what it is. There were times where I felt like I was very close to pissing him off by the record, not reflecting what was going on in his mind. And so then I would have to get real exact, precise with my definitions of things. Anytime you go down that road with somebody, it's not going to go so well. If you have to like pick your words perfectly, it's going to get weird and self-conscious and it's not going to flow very well. You're right. And as you say that, I'm reminded of an impression I had. They both talked about safety, I think in different ways, but this idea of safety being tied to having just the right answer, having an idea. Um, of what this is, what box does this go in, harkens back to, I think, something that Ron was quite clear on many times, which was, I'm paraphrasing, tell me what I do, tell me what I do wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to do those things the way that you want so that I'm safe, mm-hmm. so I have a connection with you, mm-hmm. presumably. So there is this, it would be interesting to explore, you know, your experience as, as part of his experience. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you have to pick words uh, a certain way that sort of mirrors part of what I think he potentially is expressing is his experience in the relationship. Mm. This very tentativeness, which can just put back into couple. Using that feeling as a way of saying, do you guys feel like you have to choose your words carefully around each other and seeing how they reckon with that? I want to pause on another part here, which is uh, just something that I was curious to hear your take on. How do you hold a couple that they've got work to do, that they're there because something in their relationship is not working, and at the same time, not make them feel judged or that you're being harsh or that in your mind, you have a picture of them as being ill or bad or terrible. How do you hold that balance with a couple? Yeah. 
I think that's a really great question. Down the middle can be a way to tie them together with this, right? You both are, are exquisitely aware of the absence of the other in this relationship. This says something about your capacity. This mm-hmm. says something about your desire. And you're here because you're needing some assistance in making that actually happen so you can have an experience that actually makes use of those longings. I think it starts with feeling into for me, the, the richness and maybe the desperation and the legitimacy of that and the humanness of it as a way to, to do both and, mm-hmm. right? To show what is and then also what you want to be able to do. Our job is to help with mm-hmm. tough areas. And it does get hard to just take a step back as the therapist and go, let me just think for a moment about all the ways that this couple is is not this problem, that they exist in the Ooh. world outside of this problem is a challenge. And I think that's something yeah. that we have to practice also as we're trying to hold yeah. so much in our minds during sessions. I love that, Jason. And even sharing that, pull it, pulling back and sharing with the couple, just what you said, can be a way of using data that you may be picking up Mm. using it for therapeutic value to take some of this shame out of the room, potentially, Mm -hmm. if that's there. And we know sometimes that's there. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. You're just using what is also in your own body or in your own uh, mind. Mm. I think it's a great intervention, Mm. which reminds me of something. The reason I love PACT and maybe couple therapy is I was thinking about it. And I often feel like, and I'm dating myself here, but I feel like this model in particular, Jason, is like a choose your own adventure Mm -hmm. book. You get your information, you get your your data, and and then you have a choice. We go to page, you know, 74, and then we see what's there. And then we can go back, go forward. We can do all kinds of different things, but the whole intent, and I think also you did this really well in terms of carrying this arc and direction Moving the ball means going forward. It could mean going back. It could mean redoing. It could mean a whole bunch of things. In the second interview in particular that I really, that I said, we can't do this anymore, where it was just like, as opposed to choosing going to page six or 12 or whatever it was, that it just went back to the beginning of the chapter. And you're just like reading yeah, the same yeah. chapter over and over again. It's, it's hard to move people from their repetitive narratives that they get into One way to address this is as a problem for the couple. This is not about you, Ron. This is not about you, Shakir. This is a problem that you share as a couple. And what are we going to do about it in this next chapter of your adventure? What keeps us stuck in repetitive narratives? Why do we do that? One reason uh, we do that, if we think about the brain, most of what we do and think Mm -hmm. and predict everything is rehashed. It's set. And so... That's why I think to your point, it has to be in the room. Like we talk, if it's in the room to be interrupted, mm-hmm. then something happens. Something happens that actually changes that sequence mm. of what they do. I, I did say at one point, I said, you guys, you're boring. Yeah. Here. And I thought that was really accurate because it's pithy, which I think is important. And it was friendly and it, you made sure, you know, it's not that you are boring mm-hmm. <laughs> this this is boring. And I think you might, you might be bored by this, Mm -hmm. but this is what your brain does. This is what you do. And here we are interrupting it. And the fact that you made, I think an unexpected comment that interrupts the sequence that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that interruption, I don't know if it would be enough, but like hypothetically could be enough. It might have to happen again, Mm -hmm. uh, right? Repetition. But, but that, then what starts to happen is that 
when the couple begins to do that outside of the session, they'll remember mm. Jason said that this was boring. Not that they're boring. Mm. They're lovely. Mm. But this thing is a waste of their precious time. If you've automated this threatening pattern, uh-oh, he said this, uh-oh, no. she said that. So here we go again. I and I'm going to get, coming. I'm going to put up my defenses here. She's going to put up her defenses. Yeah. And then we play this repetitive pattern out again. You stop the pattern and we're hoping that the couple then learns new things or sees new things or new things happen. Does that sound mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. And that they can stop themselves or redirect or make a conscious choice to continue. Something is different though, right? Mm -hmm. Then something is different. Yeah. You gave me another thought. What's your thought? We were talking about, and we've come back to this a couple of times, this idea of, so bring the behavior or bring the trouble into the room or let it surface. And this idea that we talk about, I know that the problems are in the interactions, mm -hmm. right? The problems are, are in the moments. And there was this moment in the session, you had commented that they looked sharp mm -hmm. and they did, mm -hmm. right? They, they looked sharp. And, you, and there was a shift in both of them, more insecure, I think, visibly. But there was a shift. And then what I noticed is that Ron looked like his face dropped mm. um, into maybe something sad. And then Shakir was uh, smiling and she glanced at Ron mm. and he was looking down mm. and her face changed. Mm. And it became interesting to me in terms of what was it that was happening in that moment, mm. this moment to moment volley, if you will, mm. of a, actually a positive moment that might also help shed some light mm -hmm. on some of this loneliness and some of this ache uh, that I think they feel. Mm -hmm. It's this finding each other, right? There's this not finding. Mm -hmm. It was an interesting moment for me. So yeah. I just wanted to mention it in terms of something in the interaction. I'll give you my take on what was happening for me. And then I actually right. want to walk through it because you had some really interesting observations. The tension was growing up in the room yeah. and I felt a need to be the one to regulate the tension level. And yeah. they both looked very sharp. And I knew, and I knew that in my mind, I, I was imagining them as the leaders of this big family, as leaders in, in their community, and that they present themselves in a particular way to their friends and family. I wanted to acknowledge that I see them as doing that and that um, whatever the problem is that they're facing, mm -hmm. that I haven't lost sight of that. For me, it was just a complete joy, honestly, the way that they lit up. There's nothing quite like it when, when you're being a therapist, a couples therapist in particular, and you hit something right, you say the right thing yeah. and you get the intended yeah. outcome. There's something so special about that. And then when it's something good, you know, where it's like people start beaming, it, it's especially nice. Yes, it was really a beautiful moment. It was really nice to see and it seemed to really land and shift. Mm -hmm. And then it was interesting to just notice what happened in the aftermath that might, that might shed some light on being able to hold on to the good feelings. Mm -hmm. That's maybe part of the, they have good, good feelings and then something sequences into like a bad period where there's disconnect and isolation. Right. And it, it was like a micro, potentially like a micro cause of that. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I'm hearing echoes of that in, in the material. I felt like they really moved the ball forward in the second session in this, in the last third where yeah. they get out of the, I just want communication. I just want to be understood that back and forth. Mm -hmm. And they start to get into this material about 
a shutdown and withdrawal. And there are these moments where they both begin to acknowledge to each other, they say, I'm not shut down now and I'm not withdrawn now. They get to that place together where they're daring to kind of look at that as that happens to us a lot. Right now, it's not happening as much. I think that there was this moment of excitement, like you said, and then perhaps, and again, we're just playing with material. This would all need to be checked out. Perhaps the drop that you saw in Ron's face was this, okay, we're open now because he does a lot of anticipating from there. Is she going to, do I have to start walking on eggshells? Am I going to do something wrong now? Where do we go from here? Getting close triggers psychobiological reflexes to your point, right? And so just like, just the, the shift, it, it could mean anything, but I, I, I like that um, idea and just exploring that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with them potentially. Now this feels good. And then what happens? Right. And what does it mean? Uh, that little micro movement. They start to talk about how they don't really know what to do from there. Mm-hmm. When there's a real moment, Ron says, we don't do anything that brings any clarity to this is what I'm concerned about. And so I think that maybe in those micro moments, you were seeing this moment where they go, okay, we've got excitement. We both look good. Ron goes down. Shakir looks over at him and goes, oh, now he's shut down. And then she withdraws and she goes into herself. So what do we do from here becomes then the next question. I had a little trouble holding that at the end of the session. I wanted to, to help them expand there. Hard to figure out how to help them in that place. I think the end of the session, the combination, right, of wanting to sort of tie something together. This is where we've come and here's where, you know, maybe where we're going to go. That's a really important, and it was really good, a good reminder for me in my, in my own work, you know, um, oh yes, I think I really like that end. They also segued into what appeared to be some organic beginnings, I think you were touching on this, of some declarations mm-hmm. of commitment to uh, each other, to their relationship, which I thought was really quite lovely. Uh-huh. And, and again, I started to get interested to just in terms of like historical context and bridging to earlier attachment experiences mm-hmm. or relationship experiences. You could go anywhere with it, but even just noticing that and stopping, right? If we were to imagine like going back what happens if she holds um, her gaze on him a little longer? Mm. Does he look up? So playing, just playing, if I can use that word, what's happening there and what's the significance mm-hmm. and, and what are some small adjustments in that moment that might feel different to them mm-hmm. that may begin to give them some of what they say they want, which is what do we do? Mm-hmm. What do we do with this? Mm-hmm. I think that's happening so many times how could it not? Like they're, they're together, right? This is where these things show up for all of us. So mm-hmm. I feel like that, I don't know if you're in the, of the same mind, but the sort of doing would be in, in slowing down the, these moments and just trying to figure out what's going on and what might actually feel different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd call it maybe more of the nervous system or biological piece, where can you just hold this mm-hmm. between each other? for an extra second or two. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. notice each other in this place. Don't don't bring it up to your brain where you're going to have to, you know, kind of parse through ideas and stuff. Just kind of feel your body, mm-hmm. feel yourself, feel yourselves as a couple in this place. See what happens. Mm-hmm. I tend to go with 
words, um, which is not always the right thing to do. But I was very curious in this place and wish that I had spent more time. Ron makes references to something in the background hanging over our heads. And Shakir saying, I'm scared shitless, I'm wide open. That's a very interesting place to me. Something I want to know more about. Yeah, I, I hear that. And earlier in the session, I think she Shakir also used the term splayed open. So I, I agree with you. Any weighted language, any rich uh, imagery, there's something. And then what is that something? Mm-hmm. And what's so frightening about being open? Mm-hmm. There's something very frightening about it. And how, how far does that go back? Yeah. It's hard work. One thing I've been thinking about with the podcast is that, you know, there's this place where you help couples to put their defenses down, you know, let's let down our swords and shields here and just see each other as two people who are in the canoe together, you know, who are so deeply dependent on each other. And even doing that is hard because it's not like you have answers from that place. It's just like, oh my God, we're, we're exhausted. We've hurt each other. We've been wasting so much time. And, and that's not an easy place to be. No, the description of the defenses being laid down. I've been thinking a lot about defenses lately and, you know, they have their rightful place, but it's sort of when do you make use of them and when do you not, right? Giving people more of a conscious relationship to their own defenses and the protective purposes they serve mm-hmm. and then trying to help them build into something different. Mm-hmm. At least that's a thought that comes to my mind because Nobody, I think, I don't, I think you're saying you don't like want to go and have an experience that isn't pointing to something. Is that, is that what you're getting at? I like that way of putting it. So there's a leap of faith from hmm. relaxing the defenses. I think I like the, the adjustment there too. We're not going for people being defenseless creatures here. I mean, we just want you to, we just want, I want this in my marriage too, to not use the same old defenses over and over again that make the other person feel so beat up and, and vice versa. And then maybe limit you actually interpersonally. Exactly, exactly. And then you get to this place where you relax the defenses and Mm -hmm. there's this question of where do we go from here? And the idea that you would go somewhere without a real direction um, of where you're Mm -hmm. going, and especially with this random guy whose office you just went into or whose Zoom call you're on, where it's like, okay, so you're going to lead us to this better place. How are we going to trust you with something so precious in this situation? I think you did a really beautiful job of this in the session too. Okay, so here's what is, this is what is, here's what is. And then the way out though, is sometimes to then make more, even more sense of how you got here right? Mm-hmm. So this might be some of the history link, mm-hmm. sort of point the way out. The history link. I just want to touch on that real quick. There was this moment where Shakir brings up history that Ron has been left by people in, in his life. I felt like that was one area where it was easy to make a connection to history. And then I think Ron saying, I don't know what you do with things in your mind, where they go. Mm-hmm. My guess is that that's another link to history. I decided not to move on history in this session. The beginning of the session was so much of just me going down the middle over and over again. What do you guys want? What do you guys want? But there was right. there was also a feeling that I had of like, this would be too soon. Right. So you're just tagging just because you, you come back to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's hard. I mean, I think one thing that's hard is, is when you don't have history, you don't have anything that you can link back to that has that 
oh yeah, you know, this is what has happened to you. It, it, it puts you at a disadvantage, I think, as a therapist. Yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? It really, why are these, these weird words are coming to my mind? I'm trying not to, like currency and why that came up. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely, right? We, we, we're trained to, to notice shifts and changes to tag and emotionally pressured uh, stuff. One thing I've learned in PACT, right? It's like, I could see a link and I could tell somebody, I think this could be a link. But if there's no data that a couple has sort of revealed together, mm-hmm. which actually gives it some dimension, it, it doesn't really go that far. Let me say it goes farther, right? Is this your experience too? It goes farther mm-hmm. if you have some substance behind the conclusion that you're reaching yeah. um, because yeah. it's been shown. I don't want cold history. I want history that feels like a couple wants to take care of each other around the history. No. What a beautiful way to put it. You know, like, oh, I hear your history. I know you have this hard thing. And God, I, you know, the last thing, my love, my dear, you know, whatever your add your thing there. I never want to do that to you. Never want to do that to you. Right. And I, I feel like Ron and Shakur were doing a fair amount of that towards the end of the session. Mm. Yeah. And they don't want to damage each other, right? Most people don't. Exactly. It just winds up being a consequence of a self-protective system. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're laying down is like sort of, transforming the idea of protection, I suppose. Creating a system of we're in this together and we know how to look out for where the other person gets hurt. Right. I've been thinking a lot about them, actually. Mm. They really moved me. They really moved me. Um, Anything you want to share about that? One of the things that came up for me was this, I know you, I think you and John talked a little bit about location too, but this location of the bed in the first session, the bedroom, I remember Ron, I think describing it as that he was physically uncomfortable in there. There Mm. wasn't space for him there. And then there was a memory around after Shakira's mother's funeral, which was another like miss. I looked for you and you weren't there. Mm and the way that that went, but that was in bed. And then the third pivot, which I thought was so beautiful, right? Was this moment of having a different understanding of what this is, of what Shakir is doing when this happens. Mm. In real time, the shift, there's a lot of shifts, the shift into curiosity or about another mind, another experience. And I think they demonstrated towards the end of the session, this imagining into, they did this other times too, but imagining into what's actually happening inside the other person mm-hmm. around these times where they feel withdrawal or shut down. And I just thought that was really quite moving. Those were sweet moments. One thing that I really love about them is that they surprise me. There's these moments where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, are we going to go down this familiar road? But then they both kind of pull up as the adult in the room and go, no, wait a minute. Like what does happen to you or why does this happen? It's quite endearing when any story unfolds and you're like, "Uh oh, I think this is going in a direction that's not going to be good. And then somebody takes a turn and goes towards the thing that brings some relief and and helps them get closer to each other. I find that very endearing about them. And it's secure functioning. Yeah, say more. That's I like that. Why is that? Why is it secure functioning? Well, the ability to hold the other in mind, tenderness, the curiosity, the space. There was this sense of um, something tender, mm-hmm. something powerful. There was like no rush. But looking at some of these things together and mm-hmm. some real leaps of curiosity and vulnerability. Yeah, just there's a lot of promise. There. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of really good stuff there. Yeah, I like the idea that there's no rush. It sort of flips this idea that like. You know, this is a couple that's drifted apart over a number of years. But on the other hand, there is a way that it feels timeless in that at any point they could find each other, that they're there to do that together. Yes, Jason. Yeah. 
That really resonates in terms of what I experienced when sharing this time with this couple mm-hmm. and you. It was a, there was a timelessness where at any time they could they could find back mm-hmm. uh, to each other. Mm. It's very sweet and it's really beautiful. And I love those moments. I have to say, in my own relationship, where you're expecting the other person to to go in a direction that's going to hurt you, and then they make that turn to something that brings you relief, it's and it's turn. like. Oh my God. It's such, it's such, it's just like sweet. In that moment. um, It's like, you're the very best. It's just like the the relief. It's like the, why am I getting all these weird analogies? Like, you know, a hot day and someone brings you the water you need. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? It's like, it's like the best. Right. Thing ever. Right. (laughs) I love it. Well, I I think we can put in a bow on this thing. Do you have any other last comments, questions, things that you want to get to? Oh, I'm sure that there were, you know, that there were some things, but no, this just was really interesting and and fun to to talk with you about. There was a very nice feel of talking to you. Right brain to right brain. (laughs) There you go. A writing. Okay. So there you have it, right brain to right brain, Oslo to Berkeley, and to you, wherever you might be. Tune in next time as I talk to John Guy for a second time, and we continue to explore his clinical observations of the Ron and Shakir interview from the perspective of race and culture. Thanks to Inga, thanks to Ron and Shakir, thanks to all of you for checking it out. Email me, jason at jasonbrand.com. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>